It was the most beautiful of places. It's very difficult for us to conceive of how great of a place was the Garden of Eden. According to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, God planted a garden. If God does anything, he always does it very well. In fact, he does it perfectly. According to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9, these trees that were placed in the Garden of Eden were not only beautiful to the sight, but they were good for food. God had placed Adam and Eve in the most idyllic of situations and circumstances. There was no evil around them. Everything was beautiful. Everything was good. However, when you come to Genesis chapter 3, there was the serpent, Satan, who entered the garden and by entering, so did temptation with him. He went to Eve and he tempted Eve by asking, Can you eat of all these trees? No, there's one of which the Lord has said, You will not eat of it, lest you surely die. Satan tempted Eve. Eve ate, gave to Adam. He ate. When they did, their eyes were opened. They knew good from evil. When they did, they looked at themselves and they saw that they were naked. According to Genesis chapter 3, they sewed for themselves fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. But it wasn't just that. They realized now they violated God's law. And so God, walking through, and that's using human language, so we can understand the presence of God among Adam and Eve. As he is coming in the cool of the day and the evening, they hear God. They hide themselves. And God asks the question to Adam, where are you? God's question was penetrating to Adam and Eve. Where are you? The truth is, God knew where they were, and they knew where they were. You see, they saw themselves now as people who needed forgiveness. They saw themselves as those who had violated God's law. God also saw them, and in their condition, they were ashamed, and they hid themselves. Are you ashamed of who you are? Have you been hiding something? If God's voice were to thunder out to you and your situation in life, what would he say? You see, the truth is, God knew not only where they were physically, God knew where they were spiritually. He knew how they were living before him. You know, the truth is, God knows where you are this morning. He knows you're sitting in the pews here in the building at Bobby Branch. But God also knows where you stand with Him spiritually. And so I'm going to ask the question in this lesson, where are you 
I know where you are physically. But where are you spiritually? God knows, and you know. What we're going to do is look at several things. They're all going to begin with the letter F. And we're going to look and ask the question, do any of these describe me? Now, it's possible maybe more than one describes you. Let's begin with the first one. Let's begin with thoughtless. I specifically am thinking about a number of you who are little children. And perhaps some of you, and I know the young people listen, because sometimes they'll come out and they'll say, you talked about this, Mr. Tony. So I know they listen. Children, small children, have no sin. You say, what do you mean they have no sin? Well, they've not violated God's law. In the King James reading of 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, the last sentence of that, or last phrase of that verse is, says, For sin is a transgression of the law. Little babies, little children have not violated God's law. But neither have they inherited their parents' sins. I know there's a lot of people in this world today who will teach that parents sin and that they, when their children are born, transfer that sin to them. Sometimes it's called original sin. Sometimes it's called inherited depravity. That's the reason why some religions baptize babies because they believe they're born sinners. But in Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, Ezekiel, speaking for God, says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. In other words, you and I do not answer for our parents, nor for our children. We each answer for ourselves. But you see, young children have not yet come to a point in their life where they understand the difference between good and evil. They've not come to the point where they have what we would call responsibility. They do not know, nor do they understand in John 15 and verse 22, Jesus put it simply, If I had not come and spoken, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. There is a point in time in which little children have no sin. Now there will come a time when they reach an age of responsibility, of obligation that they will understand. But prior to that, they are faultless. And Jesus himself highlighted the innocence of little children. In Matthew chapter 19 and verses 13 and 14, the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said to them, Let the little children come unto me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. They're the kind of which heaven is made up of. So first of all, it's possible that those of you who are listening could be faultless. 
Now let's move to the second one. And that is fallen. When one reaches a point in their life where they understand and they choose to do wrong, then they are fallen from the position of innocence and position of righteous. Let me give you an illustration. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus is describing the fall of Satan. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Prior to this, Satan evidently was righteous and holy with God. But somewhere along the line, through his pride and through his arrogance, Satan fell. How fast did he fall? Like lightning. How fast did it happen with Adam and Eve? You go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They ate, they were fallen, they were sinners, no longer righteous with God, no longer holy. Truth is, Christians can do that as well. You see, the, when I go to the Bible, there's so many passages that I, that just keep throwing this at me. Be careful, beware. For instance, in Revelation two and verse five, remember therefore from whence you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. To the church at Ephesus, he's saying, remember where you were. You have fallen from that. Or Galatians 5 and verse 4. Paul, writing to the churches of Galatia, knew that there were people trying to persuade them to go back and live under the Old Testament system. And Paul knew that these people were having a real temptation to do this. And he said in Galatians 5 and verse 4, You have become estranged from Christ. You who have attempted to be justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Yes, Christians can fall when they leave the Lord. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 17, Peter knew that there were people who were trying to persuade Christians to go back and live their old lifestyle. You know what happens. You have a new Christian. They've been baptized for the remission of their sins. They come up out of the water and they're so thrilled with their conversion. They understand what has happened to them. But then those old friends come back and they begin to say, Hey, let's go get something to drink. Let's go do this. Let's go do that. And Peter says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So you can be faultless. And it's possible that either as one who has been innocent and now understands you've fallen from your state of innocence or as a Christian have fallen from grace. But the third place that you might be spiritually is you may be forgiven. 
Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. I've heard that many times, and I have observed that throughout the Bible. Christians are people who are imperfect. In fact, none of us are perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the grace of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. You and I need to realize that you and I can be forgiven, though, of those sins. And it takes place when the blood of Jesus is applied to us. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You and I have been forgiven because Jesus shed His blood on the cross. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, the people who had shed the blood of Christ, who had killed Him, were indicted for their sin. And Peter, facing that, faced a group of people who said to him, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You see, a person who understands their sins... They understand that they have violated God's law, can come repenting of what they have done, and then be baptized. And when they're in that water of baptism, those sins are washed away. Not washed by the water, washed by the blood of Christ. But in doing what God has commanded, a person receives that forgiveness of sins. But those of us who are Christians, we recognize that once we have been baptized, will we no longer sin from that point forward? Is just forgiveness for what has happened up to our baptism? No. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you that you may not sin. But if we any sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What is John saying? As you and I walk and we live our daily lives and we're walking in the light of God's word... The blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from our sins. We shouldn't deny it. We should acknowledge it. We should confess it. And we have an advocate, someone to whom we can go so we can remain forgiven. 
And Acts 8 and verse 22, right after the conversion of Simon, he sinned. And after he sinned, and after the rebuke of Peter, we read in Acts 8 and verse 22, Repent therefore of this, your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. That's what we do. We repent and we pray. Fourth, where are you? You may be faithful. Forgiveness is God's grace expressed toward us. Faithfulness is our loyalty in return for that forgiveness that God has provided for us. And you see, if you look at us, we, we may or may not be faithful following God's forgiveness. And Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You want to be the kind of person that after God has forgiven you, that you have that loyalty, that conviction that you say, I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. That I am going to be God's faithful servant. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord uses a parable. A parable of the talents. The talents are an amount of money. And as he doles out or gives out the talents to those who are serving him, to the five talent and to the two talent man, they took what the Lord had given them or their master had given them. They used it. They developed it. In fact, they doubled it. The one talent man took what he was given, was not faithful with it. He didn't do any good with it. But if you look at verses 21 and 23, here's what the Lord says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Same thing in verse 23. You see, faithfulness is not that I am going to be compared with someone else. Some people have more ability than other people do. Some people have more opportunities than do others. You may be a five-talent person. You may be a two-talent person. But good and faithful are those who take what God has given them and use it properly. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it's something that a person maintains. All the way to the point of death, he said, Do not fear the things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Some people are forsaking. To forsake means to abandon, to desert. Some people may forsake their post who are a military officer. They leave it. 
They desert themselves from their duty. Do you realize some people abandon, forsake God? One of the best illustrations I can give you is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2 and chapter 17. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which can hold no water. The two great evils is, number one, they left God. And then number two, that they embrace these broken cisterns that can hold no water. Whenever people leave God, forsake God, they generally do so because they're interested in someone or something else. You go to chapter 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. When I think of forsaking, I think of husbands and wives. And I think of what really occurs in most of these marriages where someone has abandoned, deserted, forsaken their spouse. Generally, they do so in mind before they do so in body. I would say practically every couple that I have counseled with regards to one leaving the other is that they will say, well, things haven't been right in quite a long time. My husband, my wife, they checked out a long time ago. And you know that what ends up happening is, is when their mind leaves, it's not long that their body's going to follow after. And as I ask this question this morning, where are you spiritually? Have you checked out in mind and said, God's not that important to me anymore? You may still be here in body, but you're not here in mind. You're not here in devotion. You've already forsaken the Lord in your mind. Your body just hasn't left yet. Of course, there are those who do that. In Hebrews 10 and verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know why there are people who forsake the assembly of the Lord's church? A good while ago, they left the Lord in their minds. And because they did, they're no longer with us. I'm really concerned about those of you who've checked out in mind. Those of you who the Lord's not important to you anymore. You know where you are. God knows where you are. Next, forgetful. God has been so good. He's been good to us. One of the things that you and I can observe when we read the Old Testament is how God was so good to Israel. You think about when they were 
in dire need during the days of Jacob. How that Jacob and his sons all went down to Egypt. They got a beautiful section of land known as Goshen. But over a period of years, they became slaves to the Egyptians. They cried out, God, we're we're in bondage. We need help. And God listened and God answered. And God led them out with a mighty hand through the Red Sea, led them to Mount Sinai, provided for them food, provided for them their clothes did not wear out. He saw that every need they had was provided And when I go to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, as Moses has the children of Israel just on the east side of the Jordan River ready for Joshua to lead them in, he is going to remind them of everything that God has done. And he says in chapter 4, verse 9, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest... They depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren, especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb when the Lord said to me, Gather my people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days of their lives on earth and that they may teach their children. Moses said, don't forget all these things that God has done for you. In Psalm 106, verses 19 through 22, David said, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a molded image. They changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous things in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Oh, you look at those people and say, wow, God has done great things for them. Why didn't they appreciate that? Why didn't they remember that? Wake up. God has done great things for us. Much more awesome than anything ever done in that Sinai Peninsula. God has provided for us the forgiveness of our sins through the gift of Jesus Christ. And lest we forget, you and I had better think Listen to 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, going through verse 9. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound... You will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Now listen carefully. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. 
Are you forgetful? Do you remember what it was like the Sunday morning or the Sunday night or the day of the week that you asked someone to baptize you for the remission of your sins and the joy that was in your heart because you realized, I've been forgiven? Do you remember the enthusiasm that was in your heart that says, now I want to grow. I want to be a a strong, loyal, faithful Christian. And now where are you? Have you forgotten all that? Is it no longer important to you? Am I forgetful? If God were to ask you the same question that He asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Would you want to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did? To hide. Do you know where you stand before God right now? You see, our problem is is that we don't want it to be brought to our attention. We really want to put it behind us. We want to ignore it. But you can make your calling and election sure. That same passage where we were just reading in 2 Peter chapter 1 I want to go ahead and read verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even the more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Where are you? If you are not faithful, if you are not forgiven, if you are not faultless, then you need to do something. You need to make things right with your Creator. We're going to sing this song of invitation. If you're not a Christian, it's our desire and hope that you will respond to our Lord by coming forward to be baptized. If you are a child of God struggling with sin in your life, it's now time for you to confess that to God and let's pray that those will be forgiven. Would you come while we stand and sing?